Thank you so much. You know how interesting it is to sit and like listen to somebody read your bio? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that's me. Okay. Um, I am so honored to be here. I feel like a teacher at this table, but I kind of like it a little bit. So bear with me. Um, I, I am honored that all of you would come to a session on mental health. It is so important, and I think sometimes we forget that um, people that sit next to us in church are the ones struggling. Maybe you yourself are struggling, and um, this wasn't a conversation that happened six, seven years ago. I think it's more prominent now, which I so appreciate. I don't believe that the church is behind. I feel like God is setting us up right now to be ahead and to stand in the gap for so many that are broken and hurting, and so I'm grateful that you showed up today. We're going to talk. It's going to get real, real extra real in here. Uh, so I hope you're okay with that. I, I'm just, I just want to be honest with my story so somebody else doesn't have to tell my story. I'd rather tell my own story but also tell God's story because I believe that God's writing my story. He's continuing to write my story. And so I'm going to share a little bit of who I am because many of you probably don't know who I am. You're looking at me like, yeah, okay, she talks about mental health. Um, I'll share a little bit of my story. And then I want to give you some statistics in your area. And then we'll talk a little bit about the, the difference between mental health, mental illness, and what that looks like. I grew up in dysfunction. I grew up in the Chicago region. I grew up with both my parents as addicts. And so I know what it's like to live in a community uh, with gang violence and drug addiction and poverty. That was my neighborhood. That was my life. That's how I grew up. And from the age of five until I was 15 years old, I was sexually abused at the hands of many people. I probably couldn't count them on two hands. And so I know what it's like to experience trauma. I am no stranger to trauma. Um, in fact, God is still working through a lot of those areas in my life. But I'm so grateful, and I know many of you are grateful. And for just a second, I just want to thank God that he is in the business of healing when we just heard an empowerful word today. God is in the business of healing us. And you know, healing is not like a straight line. Healing is much like a roller coaster sometimes. There are days where I feel amazing, and then there's days where I look back and I remember the brokenness of my childhood, and I have to remind myself that God is still good even when life isn't. And so a lot of us probably feel that way. You might have walked in the room. Let me just take a moment before I continue on. I just want to disarm anybody that's walked in the room and you feel like maybe this conversation is not for you. Or maybe you feel like this conversation is exactly what you need to hear, but you can't tell anybody about what you've been through. Maybe you've experienced trauma. Maybe mental health is your story. Let me just disarm you. You are not alone. You are seen, you are greatly loved by a good, good God who's not going to leave you hanging and not leave you high and dry. I am a testament of what God can do when you hand him the broken pieces of your life, and he will do something beautiful and something very special in that. So if you agree with me, anybody in the room, just say amen. We church people, we know how to do that really, really well. I got saved at 10 years old in the hallway of a church. Uh, they were doing some adopt-a-block. I don't know if they still do that. They, I don't know if they still do that in your neighborhoods. But uh, they were cleaning up my yard, and they invited me to an after-school program where I gave my life to Jesus in that hallway. I didn't know much about Jesus. Uh, nobody really told me that Jesus saved or anything like that. I just knew that the church was safe, safer than my home. And so I went. And so when I went to the church, gave my life to the Lord, I literally never turned back. I went faithfully, and it was a safe place for me, and then I found community, and then I found hope, and then I found love. And so that church became the place where I was discipled, and I grew in my faith. At uh, 23 years old, I got married. I fast-forwarded way ahead, so just follow me. I got married at 23 years old. My husband and I went into full-time ministry almost directly after we got married. And then we launched our church several years after that. We had kids and, and all of that fun stuff. But prior to us launching our church, I got a diagnosis that rocked my life. Now, it didn't rock my life because I didn't know what I was feeling internally. It rocked my life because what I thought everybody else would think about that. I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder several years before we launched our church. I thought I was disqualified from ministry. I thought there's no way I could talk about this out loud. I never heard anybody on the stage. I don't know about you guys, but when I was doing ministry as a 23-year-old, I never heard anybody get on a stage and talk about mental illness. Not one time. I heard things about we're going to pray for you if you are depressed or, you know, but that was the extent of it. I never heard anybody get on stage as a leader, as a pastor, as somebody that was in authority and say, I have a mental illness. And so it, for me, I felt like maybe no one ever said it to me, but I just kind of felt like I shouldn't talk about it. 
you know, we were new in ministry and we were doing youth group and all of those things. And that was fun. And I thought, man, if I said anything about my diagnosis, they would probably tell us that we couldn't lead students anymore. Or maybe they would tell us that we weren't good enough for what we were doing because of my dysfunction. I had disqualified myself before anybody else could ever do it. Many of us do that, though. We look at mental illness very different than we look at physical illness. I have a friend right now who's battling cancer, and there's no way in the world I would look at her and say, don't go to chemo. I'm just going to pray for you. Now, I am a Bible-believing. I love Jesus with all of my heart. I pray for her fervently every single day. But I also know that we need to be participators with God in the healing that we desire to see. And so for her, I'm not going to say, hey, don't go to chemo. Let's just pray. But many people, when you say anything about emotional health, emotional wellness, mental health, mental illness, the first thing people say is, we'll pray for you. But then there's no direction after that. And so when I when I decided in my own mind and in my own heart that I was just going to be quiet about my mental illness, it was something that broke on the inside of me because I felt like a lie. I felt like maybe um, I wasn't living true to who I am for real. And so you're already battling internally in your mind, and now you have to fake it around everybody else. So the days that I was having rough days, I just put my best foot forward until I got home, and then I would just weep in my bed because I wasn't allowed to just be. You have to, somebody asks you how you're doing, the first thing we say is, we're good. Look, you all said it, you all know. Rarely do we come to somebody and say we're not good because what are people gonna do with those words? Do we fix it in an instant? How do we help you? But before my husband and I launched our church, I made a decision, you know, we had talked about it, we had prayed about it, we knew God had called us to launch a church. Um, and it was a beautiful experience, a hard experience. If you're a church planner, you already know the grind that goes with planting a church. So I knew that this was going to be a lot of work. However, I made a decision early on that if we were going to do this, we have to do it different because I can't live in the shadows. I can't live in the dark. I can't be in the closet about my life. And that doesn't mean I'm trying to glorify my issue. I really am saying I want to glorify a really big God that's pushing me through even when sometimes I don't want to get out of my bed. And it's hard to do that when you're afraid to show your dirt. It's really hard to glorify a really big God unless you're pretending. So to me, I could stand on every stage and say, God is faithful, God is really good, because we do that really, really well, right? Like we, we can tell people how good he is until the finger is pointed back at us and we're like, but is he good to me? When I'm in the middle of the battle of my life, when I'm struggling in places that people don't see, is he good to me? And I've decided a long time ago that God is good even when I'm not good. God is faithful when things in my life are going crazy. And so if I'm going to be able to tell my truth the way I want to tell my truth, I have to live in my truth. And so before we launched our church, I said, you know what? I believe that God's called us to do it, but I don't want to pretend we're real people struggling with real things. I was never the type of person that just stood and said, okay, I'm just going to live in it, and that's it. So I knew that I needed to make some really hefty steps to get well. That meant looking at outside resources to figure out how to help myself because I know that God has called therapists. He's called psychiatrists. He's called doctors. He's called all kind of people, not just pastors. And so in those areas, I didn't know about therapy. People didn't talk about it a ton. I had mentors in my life that really encouraged me to do those things, but I know that Sometimes it's a little bit weird when you talk about therapy. Now it's kind of like the thing, right? But back when I was struggling, back when I first got diagnosed, it was, you're going to what? You're doing what? God is good enough. I remember the first time I publicly told people that I had a mental illness. And I got emails about how possessed I was and how I didn't love Jesus. And, you know, people don't know what to say. So they just say the first thing they, they know to say. Let me just tell you that if you don't know what to say, <laughs> okay, y'all already know. Your mom's told you. Your mom's told you. My mama used to tell me that too. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. Or just, you know, honestly, listen more than you speak. If people would have known, they would have had a glimpse. I'm not the type of person that's going to stand up and like, listen, look at me. I got this. I, I got bipolar. Yay, it's great. That wasn't my story. There were some trusted people that I wanted to go to and talk to about it, but I knew that the response I would get would not be a good one because they just were uninformed. And so that is 
my story. That is what God is working through me. But here's the beautiful thing about mental illness and where I'm walking is that I get the opportunity to be on the forefront of this thing. I, I mean, I, I really, most of you didn't even know who I was when you walked in the room, and that really is okay, and I'm 100% okay with that. You know why? Because I'm not validated by people knowing my name. I just know that God is so faithful and he's so good that he's given me the opportunity to talk about something that people aren't talking about because many of you probably struggle or you know someone who struggles, and you need to know that it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. There are resources for you. And so we're going to have a conversation today about mental illness and mental health. I want to give you kind of some definitions so you know the difference between the two. Mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. We all have the responsibility to manage our own mental health. All of us, every one of us. So when we have the conversation about mental health, every one, is, one of us is qualified in that conversation because we have the opportunity and the responsibility to manage our own mental health. It's the way we handle stress. When things go bad, what do we do? And so we learn those tools how to manage our mental health. Mental illness is disorders that affect your mood, thinking, and behavior. Let me tell you what mental health is. Something we need to look after. It's important. It's real. It's complex. It's changeable, part of being a human. It's positive and negative. What mental health is not, a sign of weakness. It's not shameful. It's not just all in your mind. It's not just feeling good or feeling bad, and it's not just a trending topic. I know right now it feels like a hot topic because a lot of people are talking about it. I think most people probably are talking about mental health is because the beginning of COVID-19, never in my history that I remember that we were all experiencing anxiety and the unknown together collectively as a nation. Probably still some of that a little bit. I was on an airplane where someone was struggling a little bit just with the thought of mask or no mask. I know that that is still something that creates anxiety in us. And so the conversation of mental health started to come up a lot more in the last two years because we all collectively felt anxious. We all collectively felt fear. Every counseling agency in my region was booked, maybe even overbooked, because people saw the need to go and talk to somebody because now we're isolated. And imagine like being isolated with somebody that you don't talk to, right? So now I'm isolated and maybe my marriage is struggling. So now I have to be in the house with my husband that I don't talk to. Or now I'm isolated and I'm home with kids who are frustrating and angry and misbehaving. You're isolated with people that you don't spend a lot of time with and, and maybe you don't have relationship with. So counseling went up like exponentially. We needed counselors left and right. In our area, we, we have um, a couple different Christian counseling agencies and they're phenomenal, but they were super booked because COVID-19, it revealed so much that was already probably in people's hearts and minds, but it just kind of went up a little bit once you're in isolation and you're feeling that anxiety. I want to give you a few statistics. I looked up some Minnesota statistics. Minnesota, 819 adults in Minnesota have a mental health condition. One in 20 U.S. adults experience serious mental illness each year. And in Minnesota alone, 184,000 adults have a serious mental illness. 57,000 Minnesotans. Is that how you say it? Minnesota Minnesotans? That sounds so strange coming from my mouth. Minnesotans. Okay, yes. Ages 12 through 17 have depression. 57,000 teenagers have depression in your region. 7,940 people in Minnesota are homeless, and one in four are homeless with a serious mental illness. These are people we see on the street asking for money that we sometimes just roll past. In Minnesota, 739 lives were lost to suicide. 195,000 adults had thoughts of suicide in the last year. Now, I don't share those numbers so that I could just fill some time. I know when I start talking numbers, people kind of like, oh, okay, that's cool. Here's the thing. If we're ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if our life is to display who Jesus really is, imagine these numbers and the people that walk in our doors. 
I was a part of that number in our area. Suffering from mental illness, having erratic thoughts, moments where I didn't think I was going to make it. Moments where thoughts of suicide just passed through my mind every single day. Am I going to make it out of this? Am I going to do it? Am I going to do it? And a lot of times when they come into our spaces, we don't necessarily know what to say because we haven't been educated enough to know how to respond to people. So the first thing is, yes, I do believe that we pray for people and we love people well. That is our call as Christians. But then we got to do better. We have to know what else to do to help people. Because there are so many people, and maybe it's you that has been looked over. You know, people talk church hurt. I understand that that's another topic that's kind of hot right now. But a lot of times it's, it's sometimes a lack of understanding, a lack of listening, and a lack of education that causes some of that. If somebody walked into our church today and they had a, and I'm talking just Motivation Church, they walked into Motivation Church today and they struggled with a mental illness or hey, I'm having a rough day and I need the pastor to counsel me. Let me just tell you, my husband is not a counselor. This is going to be recorded, so you, you could take this part out if you want to. No, you don't have to. It's good. Um, my husband is not a counselor. He will tell you that. Um, he is not a counselor. My husband is a glass is half full. Hey, listen, you're struggling. Come on, let's get better. It's going to get better. Like, I know there's lots of people like that. It's great. He is very much the type of person that's like, it's going to get better, do better, make better choices, and that's that. So he knows that he's not going to be a good counselor. But there are people that come into our church struggling that need therapy. So what we've decided as a church is that we're going to pay for therapy for people that attend our church. We don't want anybody to be without. And I know that I, can't, I don't have the capacity to counsel hundreds of people. I don't have the capacity to be everyone's person. Neither does my husband or our team. And we're not professionals. I'm not a professional counselor. But I do know that it is possible for us to outsource and so we partner with a local counseling agency, and we said, you know what? We know that we can't do it, but we're going to pay for it. If people come to us, they can click a link on our website, and, and when they need help, help is available. And it's not a matter of can I schedule a time with the pastor. It's, hey, you need further help. Now, there are moments where elders are involved in that, and it may just be people just need a pep talk, and they need some scripture, and you need to pray. Those things we understand. But there's some people who really walk into our spaces. Your church is my church, and they need help. And we just got to be able to know where to direct them and not feel the weight or the pressure to take it on ourselves to do it because we don't have the capacity to do it. And so I want to talk to you a little bit today about how we win in ministry when it comes to this topic. I believe that the church should be on the front lines. You know, the world has so much to offer when it comes to this conversation, but it's open-ended. But I believe that the church should be on the front lines. I love today Pastor Scotty talked about how Jesus wept. What a simple, quick scripture, right? But what empathy Jesus had for us, how he cares so deeply for us. And if he cares so deeply for us and that simplicity of him weeping in that moment, how much more is he allowing us to care for the people that he's bringing in front of us? That's really beautiful for me. And so I think that we just need to be on the front lines. We don't have to be behind when it comes to mental illness. And maybe it's that we don't have all of the education that it comes to that. But we do have the resources. A lot of it is, is, is free resources, that we can offer people. We just got to take the time to kind of look it up and figure out, hey, where are the resources in our community? I know for us, I've had to go on websites. I had to ask lots of questions to people. What's free? What's not? The mental health resources in our community, sometimes you have to dig a little bit. And maybe you know you have a college close by, students at these colleges who are studying to become counselors and psychiatrists who are godly, who love Jesus. They need ours. That would be a good opportunity. I think sometimes we, we think big, we think major, and we think we got to go in one direction when God's like, hey, man, I'm handing you, like, really great opportunity right here. And you have a, a university right around the corner with students taking these classes. That may be a really great resource. Let me tell you, when I was, there, there was a, I love this pastor. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Pastor Chip Judd. He says, if a person's behavior doesn't make sense, it's because you're missing a piece of their story. If their behavior doesn't make sense to you, it's because something there is missing. And it's not because of them being bad. It's just because we don't know the full scope of the story. And it may not always be mental illness. It may not always be that. But sometimes it is. And so if somebody comes in acting erratic or crazy or whatever we think it is, it may be that we're just missing a part of the story. And I know that most people miss a lot of my story. 
You know, you think the trauma piece, and so you're like, okay, well, that's what she's went through, so maybe that's what it is. And really there was something much deeper that was keeping me in my bed at night, that I couldn't get days out of my bed, or days where I would feel like I was Spider-Man and I could climb a wall and I had so much energy, and I would walk for hours and hours and hours and hours. There were pieces missing out of my story, but I just didn't feel like I could talk about it. But now we're talking about it, and I believe that that's, a, that's something that God has gifted us as a church is to have a deep conversation about this so that we can equip ourselves so that when people start to walk into our churches, it won't be that we don't have the necessary tools. We're equipped with what God's already given us, right? So here's some things I think if you're writing anything down, you can grab your phone or you got some notes. Here's some things that I think has been helpful for me. I don't pretend to know it all, so there's probably tons of things in the world that are probably offered in this. But these are some things that I feel like as the church, this is how we win in ministry. Number one, we just need to educate ourselves. Find books, ask lots of questions, educate yourself on the topic of mental health. Just educate yourself. I'm honestly finding out just how to communicate with people um, that are struggling, having a bad day. You know, I listen a lot more than I speak. I know that I'm speaking a lot right now, but I promise I do listen. I listen a lot more than I speak because I can, I can find out a lot more, even if people are saying just a ton of random things, I can find out a lot more from people just by me taking a second and not responding. If I respond with empathy, I'm sorry you're going through that, but I don't always have to have the answer. But if I educate myself, I know that sometimes I'm going to be able to understand what you're saying based on what I've learned by educating myself. I don't let other people do the work for me. When it comes to this topic of mental health, mental illness, I don't let other people do the work for me. I, I figure it out. I find out what I need to find out. I go to several resources. I have some resources I'll list here for you guys in a little bit um, that I've I found and I've vetted and some books that I've read. Um, but I find all of the resources I need for myself before I have other people searching these things out for me because I just want to know. I want to know how to care for God's people. I want to know how to care for myself. You know, when I, when I was diagnosed with bipolar, my husband and I had no idea what this was, but we, know, we knew that there was something going on inside of me. That's all we knew. And then we had to learn because medication was involved. So now I have to learn, okay, what, is, what does this mean when it comes to medication? What does this mean when it comes to responding to the medication? What is my body doing right now? Is the medication necessary for me? What happens if I stop doing my med Like there were so many things that I had to find out, but I didn't want other people to do the work for me. I wanted to educate myself so that I knew better and I knew how my mind worked and I knew how I needed to respond in moments. And here's the thing, I love that I had tools in my tool belt. So I am here in Minnesota. I traveled from Richmond, Virginia to get here, right? That doesn't mean I don't still have a therapy appointment later on. That doesn't mean that I don't have to take my medication. That doesn't mean that all the tools that I use to stay healthy, traveling is cool, but this is not my real life. My real life, I'm telling you my real life. I'm telling you my story, but my real life is I'm going to leave this stage and I'm still going to have bipolar. Do I believe that God's a healer? Absolutely. I believe that God can heal me in an instant. But until he does, I'm going to do everything necessary and I'm going to use every tool I have in my tool belt to make sure that I'm well. That means when I'm done, I get on Zoom with my therapist because that's my routine. I take my medicine on time. I go for walks. I get outside in nature. I meet with friends. I do all of the things that are necessary, but I've had to educate myself so that I do have tools in my toolbox so that I know how to help myself, but also so that I know how to help other people. So when someone's coming to me with issues or they're saying, hey, I'm struggling, I've had a rough day, I would know the difference between if someone's having a rough day or they're having rough patterns. It's really hard to know if we are just really good at saying we're going to pray for you and we let people walk away and we don't pause and listen. So I spend a lot more time listening. Create, this is number two, create an environment that's safe for conversations about mental health and mental wellness. Is your church is safe for this conversation? Is your spaces where you work and leadership, is it safe to have a conversation about mental health? Are you safe? Do people know when they have a conversation with you that they're not, you're not going to have a conversation with somebody else about their mental health? Are you safe? Create an environment that's safe for people. And then outsource to Christian agencies for help. Offer and provide resources. Don't, you don't have to be the answer, but you get to offer some answers. Um, I, I think Celebrate Recovery is an amazing faith-based 
thing that I, I feel like you guys probably have some in your community, right? They're probably in every state. Celebrate Recovery is amazing because it's free. If you don't have anything else to send people, and I think Minnesota has a lot of resources, if I'm not mistaken, when it comes to this. But if you can't find anything else that is godly and that you can vet to be healthy for the people in your community, Celebrate Recovery is a really great start because it's, cost, it's no cost for people. And they deal with several different things, not just mental health, but addictions and all, all those other things. NAMI is another resource. Um, they can help you with language. You know, oftentimes we know how to talk about mental health, but do we know what that all entails? Do you know what mental illness, what that all entails? And so NAMI is another resource for that. Make things easily accessible on your church website. The hardest thing for somebody struggling with anxiety, depression, any type of mental illness is that when they're struggling, and now they have to go through hoops to get help. You know, if I'm anxious, I need one click because then I'm going to give up. If I'm depressed, I don't even want to do that much. And so if we make things super easy, I don't know how many of you are pastors, leaders in this room, but if you are and you're looking to start something in your church that's going to help people, whatever you do, however, whatever you do, Planning Center is great because you could just click on something, they fill out their name, and that's, that's perfect, right? We all use Planning Center, I think. Make it easy, accessible for people because the hardest thing for someone that's struggling with their mental health is to have to go through so many different avenues to get the help they need. Because I can guarantee you they're going to have to do that with their insurance. The last thing they need to do is walk into a church that says they offer help and then you're, okay, you need to fill out your phone number, your social security number, let me get your address, let me get all the things. You're going to get that information, but really we just need to make it super easy for people. Is that helpful? Is that, that makes sense? Because I think one thing that, that I didn't know early on is that we could be on the front lines, the church could be on the front lines, but we just needed to make sure we had the knowledge base and the resources ready before we said, hey, yeah, we're ready for people, and then when they come in our doors, we have nothing to offer them. So for our church, like I said earlier, we offer counseling for people, but we don't do it in-house. We send them to the, the Christian counseling right around the corner. It's a drive away, and we pay for three sessions for our people so they know. You come to Motivation Church, if you're struggling, I'm not going to ask you a million and one questions. I don't need to know. Let the counselor figure out their their story. But then I have equity in your heart and trust with you. Because I didn't just say, hey, we love you and we care about you, but I've given you the resources that says we care. And so when you give people resources, and it gives a level of trust in your community, in your church, and in your heart, that would be harder for me if I just said, hey, I'm so sorry for what you're going through, and that's it. If someone's coming to me and they stand, they're struggling, they're probably, it took a lot for them to do that. It took a lot for them to open up their mouth and say they're struggling. So we offer three counseling sessions. And then beyond that, you know, most people just say, hey, we want to do this full time. And they continue on. We have had hundreds of people from our church take this on. When we initially started this, we thought we'd have like 30, 40 people like, hey, board, we're just going to pay for 30, 40 people. You know how that is. You have the conversation with your board. You try to convince them this is a great idea. We're going to pay for 30, 40 people to do counseling. And then hundreds of people took us on in this. That just tells you just people are struggling. And it may not be a mental illness that they're struggling with, but people have hard days, hard lives, childhoods that they can't process. And then it starts to unravel as they get older. This thing pops up in in all kind of ways, and you know it in your own life. And so we just wanted to make it easily accessible for people. Another thing that that we try to do at our church is practice the ministry of presence. So we do all those things. We offer resources. We give people the resources, like tangible. You know, like you go into a community and you're offering food. Same thing. We're offering you tangible resources. And then as a church, we're offering the ministry of presence. I don't want to just talk about being there, but I want to be there. We're a community. We love you. We have people in our church that will walk with you and mentor you. And, and, and when you're struggling, we're not just saying, hey, you can struggle and just not be perfect here. But you don't have to walk in our church with a pretty hat on and a pretty dress and say you're perfect. If I ask you if you're, how you're doing, usually it takes me two times. How are you doing? Good. How are you really doing? There it is. Right? You give people two shots and you'll, you'll find out after that second how you're really doing that they're not doing well. And I think the ministry of presence is not necessarily me having to be a fixer. It's really just saying, I'm like, I really care for you. I really do. So I'm just here. If you're consistent and you keep showing up for people and you're offering those resources, that presence piece is so precious to the people in your community and in your church. 
And the final piece of this is obviously prayer. I say the final piece, but it's really not. It's the ultimate. I know that, you know, I, I get in these spaces and I talk about mental illness and I talk about these resources and all these things. And I know that in the back of some people's minds, because I get these emails later on, in the back of people's minds are like, but do we, do we just negate the fact that God can do what? No, not at all. Like I said before, I ultimately believe that God is a healer. I know that he can heal me. So I'm standing on that word every single day. I believe in my whole heart that this is not something that I'm going to live with for the rest of my life. So we pray. We call down heaven for people for my own life. My babies lay hand on me every night. So I'm believing God for healing for myself before I believe it for anybody else. But because I'm believing it for myself, I could believe it for you too. But I've seen God do so much with it. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't. You know, it's, it's, this is a cost. It's a cost to stand on stages and talk about my own personal mental illness. Because any of you could do anything you want to with what I just said. You can walk out of this room. You could tell my story the way you want to tell my story. You could talk about it the way you want to. You could put it on social media. You could say all the things you want to say. But at the end of the day, I know that God is doing something really special with the broken pieces of this story because I know that eventually he's going to bring healing and you're going to be able to see it. Because you heard me talk about it. You're a witness to it. And then I'm believing that God's going to heal me and then you're going to be able to see it. And so when we have these conversations about mental health in church, it's not that we forget that God is who he says he is. He is a part of all of this, but he uses all of this to bring glory to himself. And that's the beauty of this. I I love that this is not just a a story of Brittany. This is a story of God, that God is using these broken things to to do something beautiful. The way that I navigate this, and I know... um, Part of this topic is just how do you do this in marriage? You do this in ministry, but I'm married to a whole amazing human who is just incredible. And many of you um, are walking with family members or you have, you know, a spouse. In my marriage, my husband and I just have a very open conversation about this thing. When we first found out about this diagnosis, it, it did rock us a little bit. It shook us. And he had to educate himself I would recommend for every person in this room who is, if you're married to someone that struggles with mental health, um, struggle with mental illness, or maybe just has highs and lows that's just unexplainable, that haven't been diagnosed, whatever the case may be, you as a spouse go to therapy. My husband goes to therapy. Um, we both go to therapy together. And so we got three situations going on. It's great. He goes his own. I go to my own. We go collectively. And here's the reason why. Not because we think we're just all messed up. But because we don't want to be super reactive, we want to be proactive. We're a team. And so my husband loves me greatly, and he didn't know what he didn't know. One thing that I've learned early on that I need my husband to be the one that loves me, cares for me, and I can lean into, and I don't need him to be the police. What that looks like, if, some, if your spouse is struggling with a mental illness, you're often checking in. How are you doing? What can I do? How can I help you? What can I do? I don't need my husband to police me. I just need him to be my spouse and to be there. Let me lean into you a little bit. Let me cry when I can't make sense of the words. I can't make sense of what's happening in my heart and my mind. I just need to cry. And then you just get to love on me and be the spouse and not have to worry about fixing it. Let the professionals walk with you and fix it. And then he just gets to be my spouse. So the way we win in that is just being vulnerable and honest. And that's hard sometimes because I don't always want to go to him and say, today is not a good day. But he knows me and he loves me. And because we are one and because we are a team, I get to go to him and say, today's not good. Tomorrow probably will be, but today's not good. And then he can, you know, one of the things my husband does really well is he just, he does normal. I told him early on when I started, when highs and lows were just so radical for me, I told my husband, I need you to just do your life normal. Because if you start taking on my emotions, now we're both down. We got kids. It's easy for our spouses for us to just, because we are one, to feel what each other's feeling. And so I told my husband, the greatest thing you can do to help me is to just be yourself. Don't feel what I'm feeling in this moment. Don't go down because I'm down. I just need you to keep pace in our home. And so because he's such a glass half full type person, it's been interesting sometimes because he'll walk in the room like, ready for a great day? And I'm like, no, I'm not, <laughs> not. So we've had to learn how to navigate that together. And even my children, I have two beautiful girls who over the last several years have watched their mom stay in bed a lot of days. 
They've watched me have moments where I felt like, I remember my youngest, who is now eight. She is my, I think I've mentioned this at the Thrive Conference, but my Velcro baby. She knows she's my Velcro baby. We all know she's my Velcro baby. She sticks by me so tough, okay? She has been with me from the very beginning of this ride, and I was diagnosed, and she was around, and I remember her little tiny feet coming in the room the days where I felt like this would be the end. And then here go those little feet running into the room. Mommy, I need breakfast. Those were saving moments for my life. So my girls have watched me navigate this thing. And, and so my family knows there are days where I'm just not going to be great. But they don't let me stay there. And the beauty of family and community is that over time they learn how to love you well enough to know what you need. My family knows there are days where I just need to be, right? And then they're like, okay, it's, to- you, it's time to get out of the bed. I don't care what it is, what you're going through, like, it's time to get out of bed. And that's what I need. I need you to come in the room. I need those little feet to walk in the room and remind me of my call as a mom, too. Because those are saving moments for me. And so I think for my marriage, it's been, a, it's been a great journey to be able to partner with my husband in even this. Because now it's a call that we have together where we share about this particular topic. But we've learned, hey, I don't need you to be my police. I just need you to be my husband. And then he both, we both go to counseling, and that's been awesome. And here's another thing that's kind of a sidebar. The greatest thing you can do is take ownership of your personal health, your personal choices. Three things for me that are helpful, therapy, rest, and fun. Therapy, rest, and fun. I go to therapy, like I said. I, I mean, they call me. It's like clockwork. They're going to call me today, okay? They're going to Zoom me. It's going to be great. But I never stop doing it, even the days that I'm well. I practice healthy things when I am not well. Or when I'm well, so that when I'm not well, I have a healthy rhythm. So if I'm practicing health every day, the days that I'm not doing well, it's just like a robot. You know, and sometimes you need those robotic moments because you're not always going to make the best decisions. But I know that my routine is therapy, rest, and fun. When I'm not rested, I'm not doing well. So I make sure I take moments where I have margin in my day where I can rest. And then fun. I love shopping with my kids. I just took up pickleball. I don't know if it's fun or not. Is it fun? I heard that it was fun. I took a pickleball because I needed a hobby, apparently. I'm a dancer. I love to dance. Um, And as I get older, my legs are doing some things. So I took up pickleball, but I feel like I have to run with that, too. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to probably stay still and do one of these. But so we've invested in things that are enjoyable for us so that our whole life is not surrounded by hard. Our whole life is not surrounded by up and down emotions. Our whole life is not surrounded by caring for other people, but we're actually caring for ourselves as well. So I make sure I do my routine things. My therapy is, is like clockwork, and I rest really well, and then I have fun. I love hanging out with my kids. I'm taking up new things, and it, I'll let you guys know how it goes. I have no idea. It may not go well, but you know, just trying to find some rhythms in your life that are going to be healthy. So this is for you, and it's also for the people in your community. People don't know that it's okay to have fun. They think life is supposed to move like this. Let me tell you, every pastor I know, most of them, golf. That's not fun to me. I don't know. But my husband took up golf during the pandemic, and you all know what that looks like. That is like three or four days a week he is out on the golf course. And we have a golf course behind our house, so that's like a real thing. And so... But fun is so necessary for your mind and your mental well-being. And so if you don't do anything else, make sure you have healthy rhythms in your life so that the days you're having bad days, whether it is mental illness related or you're just having a bad day, you have those healthy rhythms already in play. So you're like a robot. Okay, today I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my appointments and then I'm going to rest for a little bit. And then I'm going to play pickleball because that's what we do. You have healthy rhythms. Whole health is not accidental. It takes intentionality, and it takes work. But you can get there. I, I made a decision a long time ago that I was going to take my health, my personal health, seriously because I didn't want anybody else to tell a different story about my life. This is really my life. This is really what I do. But I wanted to be very intentional because I wanted to live long. I wanted not only to have longevity in ministry, but I wanted my kids to see a healthy mom. They're my why for a lot of things. I wanted my husband to have a healthy wife. I wanted to be the type of Christian that didn't just stand on stages and talk about the goodness of God, but I experienced it for myself. 
So I have to be intentional about those things. I'm putting into practice the things that I'm telling other people. I don't just get on stage and sing songs and talk about it, but I like want to put into practice the things that I'm talking about. You can never call me a fraud because I'm actually doing the things that I'm telling people to do. I'm encouraging you to do therapy, rest, and fun because I'm doing them myself. And so I'm grateful that God's allowing us to have this conversation. We're going to take some, some questions um, in just a moment. But I wanted to give you guys a couple resources if you want to write this down. Uh, different websites that I check out, just that it would be helpful. Mentalhealthfirstaid.org. It's a skills-based training course. It teaches you how to identify and respond to mental health crisis. Maybe something that you could utilize. Let me tell you, um, that's mentalhealthfirstaid.org mentalhealthfirstaid.org. kwarren.com has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the topic of mental health, mental illness, and trauma. A wealth of knowledge. If you want to find any resource for anything, that's a good place to start. Kay Warren is fabulous. Um, if, and if you have an opportunity to hear her story, I would look it up. Um, she has some family history when it comes to mental illness. And so that is why she has started this ministry around mental illness. And she has great resources when it comes to that. Thriveandcultivate.com is resources for mental health as well. I'm going to throw out a few books for those of you who like to read or, uh, or not. I mean, I'm still going to throw them out, but uh, those of you who might want a few books, Try Softer. I think I might have mentioned this before, but it is one of my all-time favorite books. Um, and it's not just a mental illness book. It is a book about trying softer, being caring about yourself. Um, it's by Andy Kolber, Try Softer. Grace for the Afflicted by Matthew Stanford. He has uh, several different books when it comes to mental illness, but that's one that is, it is a biblical perspective on mental illness. So it gives you all the names but also gives you the biblical perspective if you're interested in anything like that. And Grace for the Children by the same author, Matthew Stanford. Everybody knows Henry Cloud, Boundaries, great book. I would say uh, that's probably a hot book to get. And one that I think that is, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever read The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. They have several different ones, but that's a really good book to get. But I'm Not Sick, I Don't Need Help by Xavier Amador. I love Jesus, but I want to die. Uh, by Sarah Robinson, and those are a couple of different books that I have read, and and I think they're fabulous, and so I encourage you, if you are interested in this topic at all, you just have some people in your life that you just want to understand better, those are some great books to start with. All right, we are going to take some questions. Yes? All right. Any questions? Don't be shy. None? Just kidding. There you go. Um, so mentalhealthfirstaid.org oh, sure. mental offers um, mental health uh, first aid training and Century College out of the metro here um, has a grant to provide that for free and you can sign up with them and they do it over Zoom so like I live several hours away from the metro and I was able to get certified for mental health first aid. Look at that. So that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. I love that's that. That's an incredible resource. Free. We like free 99. Another hand. We like that. <laughs> Where was the other? I thought I saw a hand here. Yeah, K-A-Y-W-A-R-R-E-N.com. Yeah. Okay. Could you share a little bit more information on the difference between, like, maintaining mental health rather than mental and, and mental illness, like what the difference is? Yeah. And how to manage maybe those differences? So when it comes to your mental health, things like going for walks, I mean, I think they probably can coincide, right? I'll, t I'll share from, obviously I share from a perspective of someone that struggles with mental illness, so it's going to be just a little bit different. But when it comes to mental health, each of us manage our own mental health, right? So you have things in your life that you would do that you know that bring you pleasure, bring you joy. Those are some things like going for walks, hanging out with friends, journaling. Those are type things that you do to help balance and manage your mental health. When it comes to your mental health, 
you could be having a bad day and it's just you're having a bad day, right? I think sometimes the reason why people get those two confused is because that topic comes up a lot and it's you're constantly talking about it in the same pattern. Somebody that is that has a mental illness, it is a disorder. So it would be something like clinical depression. It would be something like bipolar schizophrenia, things like that. But every person in this room has to manage mental health. So whatever you do to help you to have some balance in your life, to have margin in your life. So for me, just on a regular day, you know, Obviously, I do therapy, I rest fun, but I know that I need that even if I'm struggling, right? But on a regular day, I might get up in the morning and, you know, I love to go for walks with my kids. And those are things that bring me joy and it's going to help bring ease to my day. We love sunlight, so sunlight is really good for your mental health. It brings joy. And so every day you're going to know the things that help bring balance to your life and to help you have margin and boundaries in your world. You may not have a mental illness, but you're going to have to manage how is my day going to have balance? How is my life going to have balance so that you're not dipping? Because what happens if you have a rough day? You just had a rough day. It's not that you had a rough life. And I think we get that those two confused. So for me, you know, I know that many people think because I have bipolar disorder, I don't get to have a bad day. Because if I have a bad day, that means like I'm going down, 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 and I'm going to stay there for a while. Well, that's not necessarily true. Bipolar disorder is a, it's a chemical imbalance in your brain. So it is defined by highs and lows. And those highs and lows can be different for every single person. So it's not going to be that I'm like, or, you know, you, what you see on TV is so very different from what the reality of mental illness really is. You probably know people in your, I mean, it's it's several people that you're probably around that you don't even recognize have a mental illness. You probably wouldn't have even guessed that I did when I walked in the room unless I told you the story. And so for me, it's not a, okay, one moment I'm, a switch goes off and I'm angry and then the next moment a switch goes off and I'm happy. It doesn't look like that. It is highs and lows and they come in different waves. So it could be, I could be doing great for a month and then Something happens, I'm triggered by something, and then I'm down for a week or so, or I'm down for longer, or I'm up for a week or so, or up for longer, and so it all depends. But I keep those same rhythms whether I'm good or bad. I have bad days too, and they're just bad days. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Okay. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I remember, I don't know if it was like in the middle of what you were saying, but you were saying something about like, if someone were to come up to you at, like, your church and, like, been like, oh, like, this is just a bad day, but then you were saying, like, or is it a bad day or is it, like, a bad pattern? Can you explain more about what you mean by patterns and, like, examples of patterns? Yeah. So a bad day is a bad day. We all have them, <laughs> right? Patterns to me is if I've seen somebody over time having a history of bad days, right? Or, like, if I see somebody over time and you're coming with the same kind of stuff, then that looks a little more like, uh, I'm not just assuming that you're just having a rough day. I have somebody in my life um, who I walk with pretty closely, and I know that based on, now this is all relationship-based. This is not just a random person, right? You can never, you can't have this conversation with somebody that walks into your church and you're like having this conversation like, oh, I've seen your pattern. You haven't had the chance to see their pattern. But people that I walk with in my life, I can see a pattern over time. So what that would look like is if you came in last week and it's the same type of your body language, the same things that you're saying out of your mouth, you're struggling with something and it's not leaving. It's like stagnant. It's staying there. Now, some of that is choice. Some of that people just like to feel bad. Okay, let's be real. Some people like to feel bad. And then also some people don't know what to do with what they're having when they are feeling bad. What do I do with it? How do I carry this? And so when I talk about pattern, and I'm not someone that can diagnose you. So that's more of an internal thing for me. It's not for me to say out loud. So I will say, you know, this kid that I've been walking with, I know that they're struggling with something. So my conversation with them changes from how can I walk with you and pray for you to, hey, I really think you need to go see this person. Does that make sense? So it's, it's more of an internal thing. I don't go to people and say, I think you have a pattern of this, this, and this. It's more for me to process and know how I'm going to handle you. So if you're coming in and you're just struggling, I know and you're just struggling. You just maybe need to talk to somebody. You're just having a rough day. But if I see a consistent struggle, then I know in my heart and my mind that I need to outsource you. Because this is way too much for what I can do or what I'm having some of my elders leaders do. And so I don't say it out of my mouth. I see a pattern of, you know, depression or whatever. But in my heart, I know 
uh, this has gone on a little bit long, so I probably need to, you know, and usually it takes no time for me to know if somebody is really having a rough time. Um, you can you can tell by their facial expressions, their body language, the consistency of how much they're showing up or not. What they're, I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can pay attention to. And so usually it's something internally, the patterns that I'm being able to recognize in my own mind and my own heart, then I'm able to outsource based on that versus just, let me pause for a second and give you a few minutes because that's all you need. Um, and a lot of it is just awareness, right? You have the time with people, the equity with people that go to your church. If you have the awareness, you know them. If they've come in for several weeks and they're coming with the same stuff, now I know, hey, I need to send you to a therapist because I can't. I just can't. It, it, you never know what people are really, people tell you this much of what they're really struggling with. So if I have somebody come in and they're telling me that they're struggling with their mental health or they're, you know, they're depressed, I'm able to kind of know, okay, based on what I know about you, I'm usually going to outsource because I don't really mess around when people tell me that they're struggling with stuff like that because I, you could be suicidal and I just don't know it. Now you're only telling me this much information because we're in between services, the music is playing loud, there's a lot of emotion going on. I just don't want the weight on my heart that I didn't give you the attention or the time that you needed, and then I just skipped you over. So usually I try to be very mindful of, you probably need to, and I'm okay to outsource. I don't feel bad about it because I don't feel like I'm dismissing you. I'm actually caring for you by not thinking that I'm the superhero. Does it help? Uh, normally, men likes to fix, you know. Uh, you comment something about that your husband doesn't please you. Um, well, I know my wife. I know how far. But normally, where do you draw the line to show you that I care about you, but I'm not really, like, bothering you, you know? That's a really great question. And my husband did police me at first. <laughs> He did police me at first. Um, that's a great question. Thank you so much for asking. So, um Here's the thing, you, your wife, this is your wife? Hi, wife. Okay, so I'm going to talk to y'all for a few minutes, okay? Can I just be real, super real? Okay. You just got to tell him what you need. I didn't know that um, and, until my husband started policing me and it drove me crazy because um, I struggled with an eating disorder for a, for a period of time. And when you struggle with food, now he's watching everything I put inside my body. Are you eating? What are you going to eat? When are you going to eat? What time are you going to eat? How much are you going to eat? And I'm like, bro, like, bro, I got a dietitian. She's doing all the things, right? But he's at home with me. He sees me every day. And so he felt the pressure and the weight of now we have this other thing, and now I have to make sure that she's not going to be back in the hospital because I spent time in the hospital for it. So I had to learn early on that that is so unfair for my husband to have to be my police that he lives in the home with me, but now he has to manage what am I putting inside of my body? Am I taking my medication on time? Am I going to get out of bed? So I had to tell him what I needed. That was hard because sometimes I didn't know what I needed. So when I was well, and that's why I talked about practicing healthy things when you are well, because when I was well, it was easier for me to tell him what I needed versus when I wasn't well. He was usually asking me what I needed when I was in oh, my worst place, right? So like, Our spouses are fixers. They just want to fix it. They want to make it right. How can I help you? But usually when they're asking those questions, they're asking when you're not in a good place. So I would be mindful when you're asking that question. Be mindful of how when you want to help so that when she is not having a good day, whatever the case may be, or vice versa, you're practicing talking about those things when you are at your best so that you know those cues for when she is not at her best. So now my husband knows I need you to just be normal. He doesn't police me. He knows what I need. And then if it gets to a point where it's just like dire, which it hasn't, but if it ever gets to the point, he has all of the context to my whole team. So if there's a point where I need extra resources that, that I'm not giving myself, he knows how to do that. But I would say have those hard conversations when you're not at a bad place so that you're, you're able to say, hey, this is what I need you to do. When I'm having a rough day, I don't need you to ask me a million questions because I don't even want to talk. I just really just need you to sit still, maybe rub my back, maybe give me a foot massage, maybe make sure I have Starbucks and Target on go. Like, I'm trying to help you out, sis. <laughs> That makes sense? Okay. Try to help you out. Starbucks and Target is where it's at. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I, I had two. I think the second one was just if you could go through the resources one more time. Yeah. Just because I, I know I missed a few. So, uh, But the, my main question was just like, 
what advice would you give to leaders who are, you know, obviously in charge of other leaders or teams and whatnot, and um, like to d when they're dealing with burnout and how, what, how would you go about like basically talking with somebody to maybe take a break or like, you know, when you see that pattern in yeah. your, in your own team, in your friends or family, whatever, to right. like maybe what's when's that point when you know that they need to take take a step step back? Yeah. Versus like, oh, it's okay, like. As long as you're still working through it, it's okay. Like, what's I that? I'm going to answer that question first, um, the burnout question, because I think that that goes along the lines of creating a safe environment for the conversation of mental health. So in our church, because from the beginning of our church, you know, I was able to talk about my own personal story. It created this dynamic of, okay, we don't all have to be perfect in here, right? If you and your leadership, you create that safety net for people, then the people on your leadership team, when they are struggling, they may not come to you right away, but then you're able to say to them, hey, as a part of what we do as a leadership team, and because I'm modeling it as your pastor and your leader, we want to make sure you're healthiest place. And you do it with a lot of empathy, a lot of heart, right? So my husband and I, because we go to therapy, we can go to our staff team and say, and you can't like, we'll make this a requirement for people, but because they know our heart, hey, we model this for you guys so that you know, like, we know that you get tired and this thing gets real, real hard. So we want you to take all the necessary steps to make sure that you're invested in your own health so that when you're standing up in front of people, you're, you're at the best you could possibly be. So then you can encourage, if you create an environment of safety, you can encourage a process that's already ingrained into your leadership because you guys are modeling it first. I could never go to our staff and say, I mean, there's a couple people on our staff that I'm like, hey, you got to go to therapy. But I can say it like that because they know, like, I'm there twice a week. Like, you know, and not everybody agrees with that. Not everybody agrees with therapy, but I can guarantee you if I can use the language of, hey, this is just my paid best friend. Like, I literally go to therapy. I pay them. They can keep my secrets. They can't tell anybody. That's pretty much what it is. And they give me some really great advice. But the reality is, is that it's a safe place for you to talk about things that you can't talk to certain people about. And so if you create that safety net for your people, it makes it a little bit easier for them to come to you and say, man, I'm tired. This thing is hard. Ministry is hard. Like, <laughs> it's just hard. And it's in the last couple of years, it's probably revealed it even more because we've had to care for people in a different way. And so even for you in this room, if you looked at therapy, if you looked at asking for help, like it's a sign of weakness, just remember that, like, we all are in the same boat. This thing is hard and we need support. Therapists go to therapy. I mean, they do. They go to therapy because they, they, they recognize the weight of caring for other people. And if they're doing it, man, how much more do we need to do? We have hundreds of people coming to us. So I think in that, having burnout and, and just knowing the people on your team, if that's a structure that you can put into place now, it will, I'm telling you, the health and the dynamics of your church will greatly change because you are modeling healthy leadership. You're modeling it and you're showing people, I'm doing it too. I'm offering it to you because we see that it's a valuable tool to your to your leadership. So, and let me give you those resources really quick. Um, there are several. I think I said kwarren.com, k-a-y-w-a-r-r-e-n.com, mentalhealthfirstaid.org, and there is a free from Century College. Century College, you get a free 99. I would do that. Churchandmentalhealth.com. And thrive and cultivate.com, and also NAMI, which is the National Association of Mental Illness. Um, and the books, Try Softer by Andy Kolber, Grace for the Afflicted, and Grace for the Children by Matthew Standard, those, uh, Stanford. Those are two different books. Boundaries by Henry Cloud, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and Emotionally Healthy Women, and there's probably a couple other emotionally healthy leadership thingy. Yeah, they do a lot of those. I'm Not Sick, I Don't Need Help, Xavier Amador. And I love Jesus, but I want to die by Sarah Robinson. And that is all, folks. Okay. Do we have time for one more question? Yep, for one more. Okay. Um, I struggle with depression and anxiety disorder. And as a pastor's wife in a very small church, rural church, um, the little bit that people are telling me, sometimes it feels like a lot and it feels really heavy. Um, and even though... I am back in therapy. I still sometimes just feel super heavy and exhausted. And I'm wondering what are ways that I can separate? Because it feels like 
I'm so emotional and that's good and caring, but I don't know how to separate and protect myself from what I see these people going through. That's heavy. And thank you so much for your vulnerability and your honesty. I really appreciate that. It's huge. Um, I do know what you're talking about because we're empathetic people. We're pastors. We're leaders. We're standing in the gap for a lot of people. And so when you're struggling with your own stuff, it's like, man, how do I not take on theirs? I just look at myself as a waiter. So I'm going to listen to your stories. And I love listening to people's stories that come into our church. But then my responsibility is to take it and then take it up to Jesus and not hold it in my heart. Now, part of that is you're human. So you're going to like you're going to feel it a little bit and you're going to empathize and maybe even grieve with people a little bit. But if you just remember your role and my responsibility is not to be their savior, he already did that work. And thank God he did because I can't do it. You know, I look at my family and, man, I'm so grateful that God has allowed me to listen to their heart and their pains and what we walk through, what we all walk through. And I can just not hold it here and, like, let it grip me because I could literally listen to all of your stories and it gripped me because I'm sure you all have experiences that I don't have. But if you just remember the role of a waiter, like, I'm taking it, and then I'm just going to take it up to the Father because that's all you really are responsible for at that point. And it's not you even dismissing their pain. It's actually you doing them a great service by knowing exactly what your weight can carry. If I took every story I heard in this world about mental illness, I've talked to a lot of people about mental illness and mental health, and the stories will break your heart, right? Because you see so much pain, and and, and not just that, but even trauma. Like I'm around, my husband and I are foster parents, and so we hear tons of stories. We see tons, but I recognize that God has called us to just be waiters. Like I'm just going to, I'm going to hear it, and then I'm going to take it up to him. And then, then you use these other tools to, hey, if you feel like there's more you need to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you, certainly, and, and I love you, and so thank you. So my response to people often is, thank you so much for sharing your story with me. I really appreciate that. Obviously, you know, you want to resource them, so you're going to give them the resource that you have, and then I'm going to certainly be praying for you, and maybe what you do is connect them with somebody in your church that's not you that can help be more of that person that walks with them on a regular so that you can manage your own health and you're not carrying so much of that. That makes sense. All right. That's so good. So thank you, Brittany. Thank you. Yeah. Give her a hand.